We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. Um, and uh, we're talking about good church, bad church, and what makes a good church and what makes a, a bad church. This is an important thing for us to be talking about. Um, and uh, this is an essential conversation that we ought to be having. Uh, and for the simple reason that people have an expectation of us as followers of Jesus, what do we mean to each other, what do we, and, and how do we react to things in the world, and and, uh, and it, it popped up in the news this week that the, the Southern Baptist Convention was having their, their yearly meeting, which is fine. That's a wonderful thing for them to do. And I'm, but one of the big things that came up is, is this, this is one of the largest denominations in the United States, if not the largest, and they were having a debate over whether or not they should have a formal denouncement of racism and what has become to, come to be known as the alt-right. And that was an interesting... Uh, conversation that they should be ha- that they for them to be having because there's lot there was lots of people saying that obviously if we're good church we denounce this form of racism it shouldn't be that hard for us to say like oh by the way this is bad and there was other people that said well we shouldn't be sticking our nose in some sort of political argument that we shouldn't be having and this is an important conversation what is good church bad church where do we where do we have our our, our stance on that by the way you should denounce the alt-right it's a very easy question I don't know why it was a debate but very important question for us to have. So we're, as we're talking about this, we've been following along with the book of, uh, book of Ephesians, and it's interesting how Paul helps his church figure out what being a good church is, because he starts off for the first three chapters, rather than talking about, about what they do, he talks about who they are, and he establishes this, that, and, and as we've dis- discussed for the last number of weeks, that, that who they are is that they have been adopted by Jesus. They have been reconciled to each other and to God through what Jesus has done. They have been remade. They are new people, new creations. They have been empowered. They have been filled with the ability and the power to do what God has called them to do and to be. And these are non-negotiables about who we are as followers and disciples of Jesus. Okay? This is the, there's not a debate about whether or not, as a follower of Jesus, you have been de- adopted into his family. There is not a debate over whether or not you've been reconciled. There is not a debate over whether or not you are a new creation. The, qu- the, you, the question is whether or not you are going to live that way. The question is not whether or not you're going you're gonna to believe what Jesus says about you and, and, and are you going to live in accordance with who he has created you to be. And what's interesting is that all of these things, too, are to the full measure. There's no one in this room who is halfway adopted. There's no one in this room who is, who is, who is partially reconciled to God. There's no one in this room who is, who is three quarters remade into something new. All of these, and, and none of us have like a portion of the power that we need to do what God has called us to do and to be. All of us are fully living in this reality of who we are if we are, call, if we are following Jesus in this way. The question is not whether or not God has done these things. The question is whether or not we are living in line with them. These are realities of who we are. And these are things that drastically change us and the group of people that we believe ourselves to be. Because it's very easy to look at this room See just a small group of people gathered on the north side of Edmonton, a place where they're with, with the highest murder rate in Canada right now, yay, us. It's easy to look at this group and say there's not a lot of people here, there's, it's on a busy street, there's a strip club a block down. No one, this is a, it's easy to look at this from the outside and say that this is a group of uncool people, no offense. 
None of us have big hats. We don't have a fancy smoke machine. No one has massive Twitter followings. It's easy to look at at this group of people and say, this is a group of people who are small and insignificant and unable to do or make a difference in the city to which God has called them. And yet, what God is telling us is that this group of people, look around the room, like genuinely, like this is not a rhetorical question, look around the room. This is the expeditionary force that God has chosen to send into this city. This is the group that God has chosen to change the world, to change the north side of Edmonton. And it's not like God is choosing leftovers. It's not like God was like, well, I couldn't get the really good people, so I'll pick these people instead. Almighty God has chosen us to change this portion of the city of Edmonton. He has given us that responsibility, but he hasn't just given us that that responsibility. He's empowered us to do it. So the question is, are we going to step into that reality? He's not dealing with leftovers. So we see what, so the question is, are we going to see ourselves the way God sees us? And there's, an, there's a couple of stories that, that influence this uh, as we talk about it in Scripture. And this, there's this amazing story from 2 Kings, where in 2 Kings, the king of Aram was attacking Israel. And, and he, was, he was doing pretty well at it, but he was, he had a, he had his, his army was much bigger than the army of Israel. He should have been wiping the floor with them, but he wasn't. And he was like, what's happening? And then somebody told him that the prophet in Israel is, is telling their king all of the plans that you're making as if he was in the room with you. And he was like, well, we got to go kill the prophet then. So he's like, where's the prophet? And they found him and they said, well, he's in this city. So the king of Aram, and he takes his massive army and he surrounds this city that Elijah's in. And he gets to this point, and so overnight they move in and they surround the city and they're going to easily overwhelm it and kill everyone and destroy it. When the servant of the man of God, Elisha's servant, got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is a fascinating thing. The, the servant of the man of God looks at their city, looks at the people in the room and says, uh, we're in trouble. But the man of God says, don't worry, the, those who are with us are more than are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his lies, Lord, that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Open, your, uh, open his eyes that he can see. We need to open our eyes as well. And, it's, and so it's interesting in light of this story that one of the great things that Paul prays for his people as he writes them in Ephesians, and this is Ephesians chapter 118, is that I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope which, to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. It's incumbent upon us, and we ought to pray that we can see the power and the force that God has called us to in order to do what he has called us to in this city. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that they be opened. This is what God has called us to. This is who we are. We are a mighty force surrounded by, by, by a great cloud of, of forces able to make a difference in this city and to change it for God's good and for God's glory. So now we talk about unity because this is the first time in Paul's book where he begins to talk about what they should do. And this is what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord then, 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is interesting. So the first thing that we've been called to do is to live completely humbly and gently, that, that the outcome of our actions, responding to who we are, our adoption, our remaking, our reconciliation, our, our response to this ought to be that we live in humility because we've been blessed. We live in gentleness because we have been, God has been gentle with us, that we, that we exhibit patience for one another because God has been so patient with us. And in light of that, we live in unity. Why is it important that we live in unity? Because that's what, how the, God shows the world to, uh, that's how God shows uh, himself to the world. The word, that is, uh, to, the word that is used for unity is here is, is uh, I got to get the, henotita is how it's pronounced in grace, and it really, in, in Greek, and it really just means oneness. We have to maintain our oneness. Everything else is a gift. Our, our adoption is a gift. Our, our remaking is a gift. Our reconciliation is a gift. Our empowerment is a gift. But what we have to work on is, to, is, is our oneness. And our oneness comes out of our own humility, our own gentleness, and our own patience with each other. We can influence this with our actions towards one another and each other. And this is incredibly important because Jesus says as he's praying for his disciples in John chapter 16, he prays that they would love one another because this is how the world will know that they are his disciples. And in all of the things that we've been given, our task seems to be to be humble and gentle with one another. Our task seems to be to be patient with one another. Our task seems to be to maintain our oneness towards one another through the way that we interact with each other. And I want to be clear that oneness is not sameness. He continues, but to each of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And uh, if you'll notice, I cut out a verse because it's, uh, uh, we're, we're going to get back to it, but just Paul has this aside that doesn't affect his argument at this point in time. And Paul, C.S. Lewis uh, said that of all the great gifts that God gave Paul, it's a shame he didn't make him a good writer. Um, and I sort of identify with C.S. Lewis in that because there's times when he has these asides that I'm like, I can't really follow what you're talking about, Paul. But, so, and that's one of them, so I just cut that out, sorry. Um, but we'll get back to it. It's very important and inspired by God and useful for teaching and, and reproofing and righteousness. So, um, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I want to be clear. He gives it, so first of all, oneness is not sameness. He gives each one of us a grace has been given to us and a portion of us, and he gives us different roles. Now, I don't believe that this list, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, is an exhaustive list of all of the roles that are to take place in the church. There was a time when I was uh, part of some church leadership stuff, and we looked at this, and we, we did, like, gifts testing to see, like, who was an apostle and a prophet, and who was an evangelist, and who was a teacher, and, and I think that that's fine, but 
it doesn't work with the way that Paul is writing here. This is not an exclusive list of everything that we've been called to do. But what's important is that different kinds of people have been given different kinds of gifting. Some of us... God, Christ gave himself apostles, traveling missionaries, people whose, whose intent and desire and, and, and joy is to go places where God has not been made known and to make him known there. He, he's given evangelists, people whose whole desire is to proclaim the good news of Jesus wherever they are. Pastors and teachers, people who, who walk alongside people, who shepherd them, who, who stay consistently and, and, and maintain the work of God. But what's interesting is less, to me, what's less interesting than all of the different kinds of gifts that he gives people, all of the different kinds of roles that he gives people, is the intention of this. Because the intention of, of maintaining this, this oneness within this diversity is to, br- to bring us to maturity in the fullness of Christ. This is interesting. He, the, the whole point of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, the whole point of the differences that we share, the whole point of, of living together with humility and patience, the entire point of that is that we be brought to maturity. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of peace, people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined together and held by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So already we have a distinction that Paul makes between good church and bad church. And good church is working towards maturity and bad church is not. So we see up here how Paul frames bad church. Bad church is being infants, being tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wave of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So if we see a church that is either A, freaking out all the time because of all of the terrible things that are happening, or continually latching on to the next big thing, thinking that that's going to save them, that is not what God has called us to. That's not maturity. This constant drive to, 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 be, to be cool or relevant or accepted or to, or to grab on to the newest wave of teaching or, 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 or the next big thing or the next magic bullet that's going to make you perfect church, that's not what God has called us to. That's not maturity. Maturity is, is stability. Maturity is understanding who we are and why we're here and growing in the midst of that. In, in Psalm chapter 1, it said, Blessed is the man who, who delights in the... Uh, blessed is the, the, the righteous person. And he says, He is like a tree planted by streams of living water. That's what maturity looks like. When, the, when, the, when, the, when everybody starts freaking out around you, when everybody gets anxious, when everybody starts panicking about the latest book that's been published or the latest event in the world, or when everybody starts panicking about the new wave of teaching, the mature person says, I am planted by streams of living water. I'm not going to move. The world can do what it wants. God doesn't change. The world can do what it wants. I see the reality. I see that there are more with us than those that are, that are against us. God, uh, the maturity that God has given us allows us to stand in that. This is a hard process to be brought to maturity because what's interesting is that even as we're brought to maturity, maturity looks like speaking the truth in love. This is very fascinating because this is another good church, bad church distinction, another maturity conversation because one of the 
One of the biggest problems that I've had in churches, one of the biggest issues that I've seen in, in, in contemporary evangelical churches, people that mistake unity for a lack of conflict, that mistake oneness for not speaking the truth to each other. Those aren't the same things. Unity is not a lack of conflict. We, speaking the truth in love and being brought to maturity means that we're going to have to say hard things to each other, that we're going to have, have confrontation, we're going to have to confront sin in ourselves, we're going to have to confront sin in each other, we're going to have to confront sin in the world, we're going to have to stand in unpopular opinions, we're going to have to be willing to have people mad at us, and we're going to have to be willing to speak the truth in love. Because what happens in the evangelical church, and any of you who have been around evangelical churches for a long time, understand that when we mistake a unity for a lack of conflict, what happens is that we get governed by the most passive-aggressive. That, that, that our future is dictated by people who are fearful and emotionally immature, and then we end up governed by, and we end up governed by people who are in turn governed not by maturity and faith in the Lord, but are governed by what they like and what makes them comfortable rather than what brings all of us to maturity. As all of us know, as some of us are trying to become grown-ups, I don't, I don't always feel like a grown-up. Maturity is hard work. Maturity is doing the right thing even when it's difficult. Maturity is doing the right thing even when it feels like the wrong thing. Maturity is doing the right thing even when it doesn't go the way that you expected it to. That's what maturity looks like. Childish churches, bad churches, mistake unity for a lack of conflict. And when things get hard, everybody shuts up. Teddy and I are watching a documentary, a series on Netflix, and this is the most obvious and egregious example, but, but it needs to be stated. We're watching a, a documentary about, uh, about uh, Baltimore and, uh, and, and situations of abuse that happened within the Roman Catholic Church. And when, the, when there was a situation identified with a priest in one situation, they just moved him to another parish because they didn't want to confront the issue and they were worried about the embarrassment and shame that would cause the diocese. That is not being brought to maturity. That is not oneness, and that is not speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love would be say, we, we got to confront this. We got to be open with victims. We gotta, we've got we've to expose this to the light in order that this sin can be purged from among us. And we're going to do the hard thing even though it's the right thing. We're going to do the hard thing because it's the right thing to do. And when we don't do this, when we get consumed by the fear of man rather than by the fear of God, we find ourselves being pulled deeper and deeper into immaturity and being infants tossed back and forth by the waves. This is incredibly important for us. We have to be willing to speak the truth and love to each other. This doesn't mean that we neglect humility. This doesn't mean that we neglect gentleness. This doesn't mean that we neglect patience with one another. But it's incredibly important that we be willing to speak the truth and love to one another because that is what brings us to maturity. So, TLDR, if you're just waking up right now. It's a good church, according to Paul and what we have so far, remembers what we have been made. At our heart, we remember that we have been adopted, that we have been remade, that we have been reconciled, that we have been 
that we have been empowered to do what God has, uh, has called us to do, that we see the, 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 the chariots and fires and angels in this room who are working alongside us to do what God has called us to do to make a difference in this community. Good Church remembers what we have been made. But in the midst of this, we remember that it is a gift, and, and we as Good Church behave humbly and gently and patiently. We don't expect that changes in humans are going to take place overnight because none of them do. We recognize that all of us are in a process of becoming who, what God, what, who God has called us to be. So while we do not tolerate sin in each other, we also recognize that we are patient with each other because God himself is working in us to bring us to maturity. We behave humbly, gently, patiently. We allow people room to work out their gifts and their callings. Now, this is a an entire sermon, but, but we make room for each other. We don't just force people into boxes where it's like, okay, well, you need to do X. You need to, to stand up here and preach the word. You need to work with the children. You need to play the piano. You need to do and be and fit into a box that we have already preconceived for you. That is not what good churches do. We allow people to work out their gifts and their callings. And we also expect maturity and growth individually and as a, church, and as a group. We do not allow people to occupy pews for decades at a time and remain the same bitter, angry, judgmental people that they were the first day that they sat down. That is not maturity. And if we're doing that, and if we're allowing that, then I have failed, and I have failed you. We need to expect maturity and growth in ourselves and in each other. And where, and where I have not done that, then I, then I apologize, I repent for that. But that is a necessity that we have to have. We expect maturity and growth individually and as a group. We do it patiently, we do it humbly, and we do it gently. But this is what we expect from each other. So, as we talk about good church and bad church, we find ourselves in this place where we have to ask ourselves the question, do we want to be mature or not? Is it's easier to be childish. We all know that. We all know that, that life was easier when the most difficult choices that we had to make was, do I want orange pop or Sprite? You can mix them both together, and then you can have a fine, that's a fine beverage in, its, in and of itself. But that's not what we've been called to. We've been called to be mature. We've been called to deal with the complicated world in which we live, in which no one is perfect, and people come with their baggage, and you can't unscramble eggs, and all of these complicated things that we deal with, and we've been called to embrace people in the midst of that. And it's a lot easier to be immature. It's a lot easier to just paint the world black and white, but that's not what we've been called to do. So understanding who we've been made, are we willing and able to together step into the maturity that w- into which God has called us? Let's pray together. God. We thank you that as our, as our good father, you are not content to leave us as children, but you, under, but, but, but you have showed us that your role as our father is to bring us to maturity. That your role as father is not to continually do things for us, but to, but to develop us and teach us to be able to do things for ourselves, to, to operate in wisdom under your guidance. So we ask that you would make us eager to seek out maturity, 
Help us to not be afraid of it. Help us to not constantly want to shrink back to allow other people to think for us, to allow other people to make our decisions for us, to allow uh, other people to paint the world in black and white so we don't have to deal with the, with, the, with, the, with the anxiety of a complex world, but help us to enter it bravely in hope, knowing that you are with us, that you are guiding us, that you have remade us, that you are making all things new, and that, and that you are powerful in this world. And because you are powerful, we can live as mature Christians. It's a challenge. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun sometimes. But we know that there is joy there. And we know that there is good both for us and for the entire world because that is what you have designed. So help us to do that and to do that well. We ask this in your name.